Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Oh, really, really glad that you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in, uh, welcome. I think it's been a while since I reminded you guys of how much I love you all and how much I love this place and love being a part of it. So I really am glad that you're here today. So thanks. We are in the middle of our summer series. Uh, we're taking 12 weeks, and we're looking at 12 different people in the Bible who seem like unlikely candidates for God to use. We are calling them the Dirty Dozen. It's amazing uh, who God decides to use, uh, but I guess it shouldn't be. I think it's a little bit like uh, a dad who's trying to move a big, heavy dresser. He's got like a three-year-old toddler who says, Daddy, can I help? And the dad says, sure, grab a corner. And then he tries to move the dresser. And if you've ever done that, and a lot of us as dads have, you realize it's, it would easy, be easier to do by yourself than to have your three-year-old toddler son trying to help. But why do dads do it? Why do dads say, go ahead and take a corner? Because it does something to the relationship. It does something to the relationship between the son and his dad and the dad and his son. The father does it for the boy. Why does God allow any of us to participate in what he is doing in this world? Because there isn't anything that wouldn't be easier for God if he just did it by himself. Not a single thing that wouldn't be easier if he just said, listen, you guys sit this one out. I'll take care of it. So why does he invite us to participate? He does it for you. He does it for me. And whenever we take a corner, whenever you go out and make Jesus famous, you know, some of you feel like you're distant from God, and the best thing you can do is take a corner, go out. Every time you, make, you try to make Jesus famous, and that's our theme for this year, you're not just doing something for people out there, you're doing something for yourself in your relationship with God and God's relationship with you. So don't forget that. All right, this weekend we are looking at the disciple Thomas. Thomas is one of the original 12 disciples. Uh, information about the disciples is not evenly distributed. And what I mean by that is that we know a ton about the disciple Peter and the disciple John. We know virtually nothing about the disciple Thaddeus or James of Alphaeus. Some of you are going, who? Right? Exactly. We don't know anything about him. Thomas is kind of in between. We know something about Thomas. Thomas uh, actually played a part in a story in John chapter 11 it's one of Jesus' most famous miracles, the miracle of where he raised Lazarus from the dead. And Thomas's part in that miracle is this. Jesus is up in Galilee with his disciples. Galilee is about 60 miles north of Jerusalem, and he gets word that his very good friend Lazarus is very sick. And instead of going right away, Jesus stays for a few days, and then he announces to his disciples, we're going to go see Lazarus because he's died and I'm going to raise him from the dead. And the disciples are understandably confused, and they don't want to go. And the reason they don't want to go is that Lazarus is from a town called Bethany. Bethany is like a suburb of Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the danger level has been rising. The tension has been rising. Because there's a group in Jerusalem called the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. They put out an APB on Jesus to arrest him on sight. The disciples know this, so they're, they're trying to convince Jesus not to go. And if you've ever tried to convince somebody not to do something, but you don't want to tell them why, 
That's what they were trying to do. But Jesus would not be manipulated, which is probably something we all ought to remember. And uh, Jesus says, no, we're going. And when he says that, Thomas, and this is what we know about Thomas, Thomas said this, let's go, that we may die with him. Let's go, that we may die with him. Okay, not exactly radiating positivity, right? But certainly courageous. And if that's the only thing we knew about Thomas, he might have gone down in history as resolute Thomas or Thomas the Courageous. But we know one more story about Thomas. And it's a story in John chapter 20. And it's this story in John chapter 20 that earned him the nickname Doubting Thomas. And that moniker has stuck with him for 2,000 years. And although that is unfortunate, and I think probably undeserved, which I'll explain in a minute, it has landed him on the list of the dirty dozen. So we're going to take a look at that story. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 20. You can wait for it to come up on the screen. This story happens eight days after the resurrection of Jesus. He's already appeared to Mary Magdalene and some of the women, and he appeared to all the other disciples at a single time, and Thomas wasn't there. So we pick up the story in verse 24 of John chapter 20. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see he in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word. Okay. The first question is, why is this story even here? What a weird story. Uh, If you're not a Christian, uh, first, if you're not a Christian, uh, I'm really glad you're here or listening, or watching, or whatever, uh, because I think that's great. But I said last week, and I'll say it again, if you're not a Christian, and you're, watching, you're reading this story, you ought to be asking yourself the question, is this the kind of story I would make up? Because you only have two choices when you're reading a story in the Gospels. Either somebody made it up, or it's true. And this is the kind of story I would never make up, because it just seems so strange that Jesus would appear to his disciples, and while one of them was gone. Well, why would he do that? It seems like almost a mistake. Uh, Jesus resurrects on Easter Sunday morning, that first Sunday morning at dawn. He appears to Mary Magdalene, which we talked about last week. Then he uh, appears in the evening to a room full of all the disciples, but Thomas isn't there. And I just, I I don't see that as, as an oversight, I don't see Jesus coming into that room and going, I'm alive, I'm risen, 
It's all true. I died on the cross for you. I have raised in glory and I've defeated death and I've raised with power and glory. Wait, is everybody here? Wait, wait, where's Thomas? When's he going to be back? All right, I'll be back in eight days, right? It just doesn't make any sense to me. So why? The question is, why would Jesus appear to a room with all the disciples when one is gone? And the answer is why Jesus does most things. He does it for you, for me, for those of us who struggle with doubt. And I think that's why this whole story is here. Now, before I get to my points for this morning, I want to tell you that I think that Thomas gets a bad rap. I don't think Thomas is more deeply flawed than the other disciples. I don't even think that doubt is a weakness. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. If you have never doubted Christianity, then there's a chance you don't really understand what it means to be a Christian. I'll say that again. If you have never doubted Christianity, you may not understand what it means to be a Christian. Does that surprise you? I don't think it should. And this is why. Doubt is connected to what you're being asked to believe. Doubt is always connected to what you're being asked to believe. For instance, if you, if you come up to me after the service this morning and you say, Pastor Joe, I have a donut out in my car for you. I want to go get it. And I say to you, I doubt that. Right? That's one thing. But if you come up to me after the service and you say, Pastor Joe, my aunt just discovered a cure for cancer. She created these pills. One pill cures any cancer. Cancer is going to be a thing of the past. It's going to be incredible. She gave me a bottle full of those pills. I have them out in my car. She wanted me to give to you, and then you can give them out. And I say to you, ah, okay, li listen, I know some doctors that are probably here this morning. Let me introduce you to them. They work with people who have cancer. You give him the pills or her the pills, and then they can figure out if they work or not. And you say to me, are you saying you don't believe me? You don't believe that my aunt made those pills? And if you push me to a wall, I would say, I didn't want to say this, but no, I don't believe you. I don't believe that your aunt created a single pill that will cure all cancer. I don't believe that she is wiped, she's going to wipe out this scourge of cancer for everybody. So yeah, unless I see a person with cancer take one of your aunt's pills, and then I have proof that, she is, that the person no longer has cancer, unless I see a clinical study where there are bunches of patients with cancer that are cured by your aunt's pills, I will not believe. But let's say your, your aunt really did it. And 20 years from now, she's the most famous person in the whole world. Her picture is on every magazine. She got the Nobel Prize for curing cancer. And cancer is now a thing of the past. And when people see me walk by, they go, hey, hey, I know that guy. That's Doubting Joseph. <laughs> he didn't believe. I'd be pretty mad. And the reason I'd be mad is I would say, listen, no one would have believed in my spot. It, has, it was something that had never, been, never happened before. A single pill to cure cancer. It's almost too good to believe. Do you know what Thomas is being asked to believe? 
He's not just being asked to believe that Jesus resurrected. He's being asked to believe that everything has been changed, that everything has changed. Uh, Easter before last, I preached a message, and I called it, If It's True. And I really liked that message. Part of it was because it made me think through what it means if Jesus really did die on a cross for you and for me. If Jesus really did resurrect from the dead for you and for me. This is an excerpt from that sermon. It means there's a God and he cares. Sometimes it can feel like God could care less about what's going on here in general or in your life in particular. But if Jesus really did go through all this, it means God does care a lot. It means he cares not just about where you've been and what you've done, but who you are and where you're going. It it means God knows the real you, not the Easter dressed up going to church you. And instead of turning his back on you as a lost cause, he came for you. It means you can be forgiven. It means there is nothing you cannot be forgiven of because if the punishment fits the crime, then there is nothing you have ever done that deserved more punishment than the cross. It means the brokenness inside of you can actually be healed. It means there's hope. Hope that this is not the only life or the last life you have, but it's just a preamble or an introduction. It means your life is like a fairy tale where one day you will live happily ever after. You will have peace if you are in conflict, joy if you are sad, forgiveness if you're guilty, and freedom if you're stuck. It means all sad things will one day come untrue. It means you are fully and completely known for exactly who you are and what you are and not for who you pretend to be, and you are fully and utterly and completely loved right in that place. And that love has the power to change everything about you. It's amazing good news if it's true. That's what Thomas was being asked to believe. No wonder Thomas said, I won't believe. I have doubts. All right, Mike, I have uh, four points this morning. I know that's going to throw some of you really off, but I have two points, two things that Jesus says from this passage, that Jesus says to someone who is struggling with doubts. And from this passage, I have two things that someone can do if they're struggling with doubt to move from doubt to great faith because I think that's what Thomas does. All right? First, the two things that Jesus says to anyone who is struggling with doubt. The first thing that Jesus says to Thomas is in verse 27. It says then, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. It's very specific, right? Why doesn't Jesus just show up in the room and say, Thomas, I'm glad you're here because I, I appeared to these other guys last week. Now you're here, I'm just gonna appear to you too. Why does Jesus say something so specific as Thomas? Okay, you're here, good. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. You know why. Because that's what Thomas said he wanted to do. Thomas, when the disciples kept telling him, he's risen, we've seen him, Thomas said, you know what? I doubt that. In fact, unless I put my finger in his hand, unless I put my hand in his side, I will never 
believe. And Jesus shows up and he says, put your finger here, put your hand here. How did Jesus know? Jesus didn't have you know, one of the disciples take him over to the corner and go, hey, listen, just want you to know Thomas has been saying some stuff. He's been saying, you know, stuff about your hand, stuff about your side. No, Jesus knows. Right? So the first thing that Jesus says to anyone who's struggling with doubt is this, I know. I know you're struggling with doubt. I know what you've said. I know what you've thought. I know that you've wondered if, the, if God even exists, let alone cares about you. I know you wonder if I ever died on a cross, really, if I ever really rose from the dead. If any of this is true, I know. I know. Here, Jesus has a chance right here to tell all of us how he feels about people who struggle with doubt, how he feels about skeptics, how he feels about cynics. And Jesus, instead of walking into that room and saying to Thomas, oh, Thomas, I see you're here. Why don't you step outside? I have something to say to these guys who didn't doubt me, who didn't demand what you demanded. Instead, Jesus comes and he says, oh, Thomas, I'm glad you're here come close. And you know what that means? That means if you are struggling with doubt this morning, Jesus says to you, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I don't want to push you away. I want you to come close. And just that is so, so wonderful if you think about it. So that's the first thing that Jesus says. The second thing that Jesus says to somebody who's struggling with doubt, I'll take from the same verse, when he says, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side, do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus holds out his hands, and he says, Thomas, look at my hands. Why? Why, why doesn't Jesus just say, okay, Thomas, I know you're doubting, come on, bring it in, bring it in, man hug, we'll hug this thing out, It'll be all right. Why does Jesus say, Thomas, I want you to look. Look at the wounds of my hand. Look at the wound. Look at my scars. You know why? Scars tell a story. Scars are the way your body remembers. Every scar you have tells a story. I have lots of scars. I grew up playing sports, trying way too hard. <laughs> I have 70 stitches from my neck up and no more than five at a time. Like, i glad I never became a boxer, right? I scar pretty well, so it's hard to see, but I have a scar here, I have a scar here, 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 and here, right? That you could, if you get close enough, you can see it. <laughs> you know, people in the first service that was out in the atrium, it's like, come up close. <laughs> don't come up that close to me, right? This scar right here, this one, this is uh, a headbutt that I got in Charlotte, North Carolina at a YMCA. I zigged, the other guy zagged, and we hit heads. This one here is a pickaxe wound, don't even ask. Right? <laughs> Why does Jesus hold out his hands and say, Thomas, I want you to look at my hands? He's saying, look at these scars. These scars tell a story. And the story's about you, Thomas. And the story's about me. He is saying to Thomas, Thomas, I let people do this to me. 
because I love you. Because I love you. Doubt is always about trust. Right? Doubt is, a, is asking, can I trust you? Can I trust this? There's a great verse in Romans where Paul says this, God who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up, will he not also graciously give us all things? You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, if Jesus died for you, if, if God gave you Jesus, and he has those scars, and those scars tell a story about Jesus and about you, and about his love for you, then you can trust him now. Because for almost all of us, doubt creeps in when something has happened in our lives we don't understand. And some of you are going through that right now. There's stuff that's going on in your life where it doesn't make sense. For others, there's th stuff that's going on in your life and you've been praying fervently and nothing is happening. And you begin to wonder, does God even care? Does God love me? And for those doubts, Jesus says these wounds are for you. These scars tell the story of how I love you because I let them do this to me simply because I love you. Right? So if you are struggling with doubt this morning, Jesus comes with two things to say to you. The first thing he says is, I know. I know. And I'm glad you're here. Instead of pushing you away, he's saying, I want you to come close. And the second thing he says is, these wounds are for you. His scars tell the story. And that story is his love for you. His love for you. Then there are two things, I think, from this passage that if you're struggling with doubt, you can do. And it will move you from being a person of doubt to a person of faith because that's what it did with Thomas. And the first thing that you can do is to drop your conditions. Drop your conditions. Thomas says in verse 25, he says, unless I put my finger in his hand, unless I put my hand in his side, I will never believe. That's my condition. All right? Unless I do that, I will never believe. Then Jesus shows up, and Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. Put your hand here. What's Thomas do? He doesn't do anything. He falls to his knees, and he says, my Lord and my God, because Jesus was enough. Jesus was enough. Almost all of us come to God with some conditions at one time or another. We say, listen, God, I will believe in you if you do this for me. I will believe in you if you show me this sign. I will believe in you if you, if you help me with my life. I will believe in you if you help me find a job. I will believe in you if you heal this person I love. If you do this for me, then I will be, this is my condition for faith. I, had a, I talked with a guy uh, a few years ago named George Cull. He was a member here. Uh, George passed away a few years ago. He was a wonderful, kind, gentle, very smart man. And I remember sitting in my office with George and we were talking about his journey of faith. And he said, you know, Joe, I went to an Ivy League school and the Ivy League educated faith right out of me. And I spent 40 years of my life being an atheist. And then my granddaughter got sick and I didn't know what to do. 
So I ended up going to a church, and I tried to bargain with God. I told God that if he would heal my granddaughter and make her well, then I would believe in him. That was my bargain. And then George did something I don't think I'll ever forget. He, he leaned forward, and he smiled. And when George smiled, he smiled not just with his mouth. He smiled with his eyes because his eyes would crinkle up. And he said, Joe, and you know what? Jesus even forgave me of that. What George had discovered was that Jesus' wounds were for him. That Jesus' scars told a story about him, and that was going to be enough. And that was enough to let him know that Jesus loved him and had come for him, and then he didn't need to make the bargain anymore, to make the condition. The reason most of us have to drop our condition before we can really have faith in Jesus is because when we make a condition like that, what we're saying is, Jesus, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to save this thing that makes my life worth living, which really is my God. And if you will save this thing that makes my life worth living, then I will believe in you. But Jesus has to tell you then, I cannot be your savior if you are counting on something else to save you. So you need to drop that condition and once you drop that condition, then I can move into your life and be your savior and be what I have come to be. So that's the first thing. If you're struggling with faith, drop your conditions. And the second thing is make a declaration. Because what Thomas says to Jesus is he drops to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. Right? And that is the most powerful declaration of any of the disciples up to that point. And it's a, I say it's a declaration because it's not vague at all. And it's personal. He doesn't say you are the Lord, you are the God. He says, Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God. One of the things you need to know is that you are not a Christian until you have said that. You are not a Christian until you have said to Jesus, you are my Lord, and you are my God. And for some of you, you're struggling with doubt. And you're struggling with doubt because you've never actually said that. You've never ever said to Jesus, listen, I'm going to drive a stake. You are my Lord, my God today. Some of you are struggling with doubt because you have a condition. That you're saying, I will not believe until this is met. Right? What happened with Thomas is he dropped his condition, he made a declaration... And then he became full of faith. Then he became part of what God was doing around the world. Then he became the disciple that went on to India to tell people about Jesus. All right. If you are here today and you are struggling with doubt, two things that Jesus wants to say to you. The first is, he's glad you're here. He wants you to come close. He doesn't want you to go further away. The second thing is, he says, these wounds, these scars tell a story, and the story's about you. And the story is how much I love you. You can trust me now. If you are struggling with doubt and you want to move from doubt to faith, 
that I would invite you to drop your conditions and make a declaration to Jesus say, my Lord and my God. And then after you do that, then you can ask God, hey, can I help with that corner? Then you can go out and begin to make Jesus famous. And when you do, it will begin to change your relationship with God and God's relationship with you. You can trust Jesus because of what Jesus has done for you. You can trust what seems like it's almost too good to be true because it is true. Let's go make him famous. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you and I am amazed. I am amazed. And I am so thankful that when we experience doubts, and uh, I would guess that every single person here has experienced doubts at one time or another, that instead of pushing us away, you draw us close. And I pray for those who need to be reminded of your wounds, that your scars tell a story about your love for them. And whatever somebody is going through, they will go back to that, and that will remind them of your love and that you can be trusted now. I pray for those who need to drop their conditions and make a declaration. I pray that this could be the day for them. And then for all of us that have made that declaration that you are our Lord, that you are our God, that you will help us as we endeavor to make you famous. Give us opportunities to participate with what you are doing in the world. And as we do that, may we fall more deeply in love with you and understand you better. Thanks. Thanks for being such a wonderful Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen.